Hello, listeners. We just wanted to say thank you for your patience as we finally got this last episode up and running. It's been a hectic past couple six weeks for Chris and I, and we appreciate your patience in just waiting for the new episode. So we'll try to get things up a lot faster in the future for you and on a much regular basis. In the meantime, let's get started. Do you like to make sure that you're kitted out just right for battle? Well, all you have to do is go, go, artifact, lightning greaves, and you'll be just fine. This episode is we are going to delve deeper into the equip and reconfigure abilities. So let's see if, just what can make you the most powerful being of all the planes. Hello and welcome to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. As always, I'm your host, Chris, and I'm joined by Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hello, everybody. First and foremost, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please feel free to reach out to us uh, by email, Facebook, or Twitter. Our email is mtgunderthehood at gmail.com, and our Facebook and Twitter are both at mtgunderthehood. With all of that out of the way, Joe, do you have any new decks that you've been working on? This week, I came across a couple really interesting cards that I've been trying to put together. But I think the one that I'm most excited about is one based off of the card Tameshi from the new Neon Dynasty set. So we pulled this during one of the sealed deck recordings that we made. And it was one of the foundations for the deck that I built. And I really liked the card. I was interested in it. And so I looked it up and turns out people have been doing quite a bit with it. It has a number of decks to its name, well over 600. And commander decks, that is. So I started looking at it and what I could do with it that would be different and unique. And I thought about trying to build a Tameshi Auras deck. But the Auras are debuffs on my opponent's creatures. So it's not necessarily trying to buff my own creatures to get in for the win. It's make sure that I can debuff my opponents and just take out their creatures entirely. And then I have a couple things in as, as win conditions in my own deck. Then if my opponent's creatures happen to get taken off the board for whatever reason, I can always bring those auras back from the graveyard and put them onto new creatures. Now I'm running into two problems. Number one, I can't actually get rid of the creatures. I have a couple ways that like, I can make it so they attack creatures or planeswalkers or players that aren't me. I make it so like I have one that I can attach the aura to a creature and then an activated ability of the aura is to exile the creature it's attached to. And I can always bring it back, but otherwise they're just kind of stuck on the board. I have a couple things like Frogify which does turn it, it strips away all abilities, which is something else I'm trying to do, because like it's great if you just pacify the creature. You really want to get rid of the abilities, too. But I am concerned not only that I don't really have a solid win condition, I'm thinking about trying to use control auras, where I just play it, uh, play it and take control of enchanted creature, which would be nice. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think Magical Christmas Land, suddenly I control a Blightsteel Colossus, and that would be great. Um, probably not going to happen, but you never know. I also have a copy of an enchantment called Followed Footsteps in the deck where you attach it. At the beginning of your upkeep, you make a copy of Enchanted Creature. So if there's something that's really good on the board that I don't want to die, and I want to take advantage of it multiple times over, I just enchant my opponent's creature with that, and then every upkeep, I, every one of my upkeeps, that is, I start making copies of that creature. My concern is that it's going to turn into my last Azorius deck where it was fun to play once. That was it. I built it. I decided I didn't really like that play style because it was too controlling of the board and didn't really let other people play the game. This one, you can get around it because like if I frogify your creature, well now it's a 1-1 one, one with no abilities. You can still use it as a blocker and I can still bring back frogify and enchant another creature. But I'm not sure if that's the kind of game that... So we're working on it, trying to flesh some things out. We'll see. So I kind of snickered whenever you started talking about it. And the only thing that popped in my head was, I really hope you call it your Minoc deck. <laughs> <laughs> the Minox would be good. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's, it, it's, I will probably build it and want to try it. 
I only need a couple more. I got to get the, the mana base figured out. I have to put in my ramp. Um, some of my more targeted removal for like enchantments and, you know, some counter spells and things well, like I mean, that. Well, I mean, you're in white and blue, so you got enchantment. Oh, yeah. You got enchantment and artifact I have, removal. I have all the control that I need. That's not a problem. Um, I have about 10 different win condition cards that I'm putting in the deck. So we're working on that, trying to figure it out. Like I said, I'm just, I am concerned that I'm going to end up being too oppressive and not really letting people play the game. And I don't want to do that either. Or let people really play their deck. You know, I don't want to do... I did that once. And it wasn't... I let them play, but I made it so hard for them to play that it wasn't... It drew the game out forever. So, we'll see. But that's what I'm working on right now. We'll see how it goes. What about you? So, I've actually been working on four decks. Uh, I just built a... Kin uh, Kenji flying tribal deck and he buffs your other creatures with flying whenever they right. attack with him and he also buffs your creatures uh, whenever they block with creatures with flying when they block with him and so I just built flying tribal and it just so happens that a majority of them were birds and I have an enchantment in there that whenever a bird uh, is put into the, a bird creature that I control is put into the graveyard I put a feather counter on it and all my birds get um, plus one, plus one for each feather counter on it. Okay. So I have, and I got that one, and I I actually kind of built the deck around that because I had all it, right. and I was like, huh, I kind of want to build a bird deck. And then I saw Kenji, and it went, huh, you're a bird? You have flying. You care about birds. Let's see. And so I kind of built it that way, and it's just, and I finally was able to track down my copy of Gravitational Shift, Oh, that's going to be mean. And for then, those of you that don't know, Gravitational Shift is a buff for flying creatures and a debuff for non-flying creatures. It's, it's pretty potent in and this deck. I, I'm also, and I also realized that I have an extra copy of uh, Stormtide Leviathan, which makes it to where only flyers and island walkers can attack. Right, yeah. And so I'm like, all right, I'll just put you in there because all of my, literally everything of mine has. Right. So... There's that. So that was the first one that I'm working on. Now, did you put Stormcrow in your flying deck? I do not have Stormcrow. You do not have Storm... You have to get this card. It's amazing. It's a 1-2 with flying for 2. <laughs> I mean, it's so, so good. <laughs> <laughs> you need to put Stormcrow in that deck. And so the second one that I'm working on is I'm revisiting my uh, Jessica Thrice Reborn uh, Drago um, Mono Red mm -hmm. uh, Partner Commander. Right. And the one that goes infinite if you build it correctly, right? Yeah, if I have all the right pieces on the board, I can pretty much go infinite and one-shot the board. Nice. Um, and I was going through it, and I did find that I do have a Goblin Engineer. Nice! So, I have, so I have pretty much all the good, like, Goblin. So mm -hmm. Goblin Engineer, uh, Scrap Welder, Goblin Welder. So mm -hmm. I have, like, all the good enchantment search stuff. Um, so the whole idea of that one is... Sacrifice things to get Drago out. Mm -hmm. Sacrifice him to a um, Phyrexian altar or an Ashnod's altar. Yeah. And then his ability is his mana cost is reduced by two for each thing that you've sacrificed that turn. Well, in Commander, that two reduction also pays for his Commander tax. Yes. So Plus the mana you're getting from the altar, assuming mm -hmm. you're sacking it. Yeah. So... Uh, that's why it's a Phyrexian altar that you sack yeah. him to because he'll reduce it by two. You just generate the one red mana mm -hmm. and you can just continually sack him, play him again, sack him, play him again, sack him, play him again. And you can just build it up. And then once I've done it like a million times, then I play, I bring Jessica out because she enters with X loyalty counters where X is the number of times you've cast your commander that game. It doesn't have to be Jessica. Correct. Any commander. And so... She'll come in with that, and she has a minus X ability that deals damage to up to three targets. And so there you go. <laughs> so if I'm able to get it, I can one shot the board in one go. Yeah. So I'm re rebuilding that one because that one's just a fun janky deck. It is tough to play against too. I remember you playing that the one time, and yeah, you really have to pay attention and watch for. Um, and then the other two that I've been working on. One of them is Sigurda, the new one from uh, Midnight Hunt. Um, and that one is Human Stribal. Um, even though I have like 34, 36 humans in it, it just, I just wasn't drawing them enough. 
Um, so I'm going to re be retooling that one to include either more humans or more changelings. Um, and then the other one is uh, Micaeus as a plus one, plus one counter, mm -hmm. uh, plus one, plus one counters deck. That would be the uh, mono white Micaeus. Yes. Luminarch Ascendant. And he, uh, and so that one is all about plus one, plus one counters, making stuff big. Um, and I have reconnaissance in there so that mm -hmm. I can attack with him. Remove them from combat, but then still in the combat step, tap continually tap them, make them bigger, redistribute counters and everything like that. Yeah. Um, and then I have uh, Heliod, Walking Ballista, Stone Coil Serpent, stuff like that. So a whole bunch of like things that can get really big. Yeah. Um, and so that one actually is that one. I I almost had the chance to play test against uh, play test it against an actual person. But decided to play my Vela deck because it was one-on-one -on -one and I didn't want to... I didn't know how it's going to play. Right. Especially with it being one-on-one -on -one and the way that I have it built. I didn't want it to just become a one-sided. Exactly, yeah. You want to you wanna try to keep the games fun still. for Unless people walk into it knowing that you're playtesting a deck. Mm -hmm. You want to you keep the games fun when it'll show up for or yeah. something. So those are the decks that I've been working on. Um, but I do still have a few more that I'm kind of brewing in the back of my head. Um, but those will be for a later date. I want to get these ones kind of fleshed out nice. first. So next time we get to play, next time we get the group together, I'll definitely bring, if not one of them, all of them. Awesome. It'll be fun. Mm -hmm. Our words to live by for this week, we only have one that really goes with this particular episode, and it is equip, which you may think is odd because... Well, aren't we going to talk about that as a keyword ability? And yes, yes, we are. All right. It is, it is, well, actually, technically it's an activated ability, but we're going to get, all right. But often you'll hear people use this as a generic term for uh, attaching an equipment card to a creature card on the battlefield. You'll, you'll just hear people say, I'm going to equip this, you know, this creature with this artifact or whatever the artifact names happens to be. So, and you, it, it's just something that the game has taken into account and you hear it in slang you hear it just as part of more than just the activated ability of equipping the the artifact to a creature and i just thought of another word that word to live by for this episode what's that move move yes i am going to move this to this creature that is a very and, valid point and, and what that happens more frequently than you might think <laughs> and whenever someone says i'm going to move this or this equipment onto another creature what they're saying is I'm going to unequip it from this creature and re-equip it to another creature. So you can just kind of move it to different right. th different creatures. And that is, of course, assuming you are able to pay the equip cost mm -hmm. as you need to. And you're right. And that's one of the unique aspects of equipment. You can't just take it off of a creature. Once it's on the creature, it's there. But we'll get more into that. Chris, tell us, as always, what's the history of equip and recon? So this one actually kind of surprised me and the first first bit of history is equi the equip ability debuted in the first Mirrodin block and has been included in most sets ever since um Mirrodin was in late 90s correct no uh, it was 2004 or 2005 so it, it was it was the so i i started playing in the end of onslaught and so we did onslaught we did the onslaught block and that was when Mirrodin was the first set that went off of Dominaria. And it was a big thing for Magic players at the time. And so I remember we, we were not only concerned, and not only that, after they, they had changed the, the border as well, the frame for all the cards with the Mirrodin block, because they were going off of Dominaria, so they wanted to try something new with the card art and everything. Uh, and we got essentially what we have today now as a frames for the cards. Uh, but yeah, it, it debuted, I think it was 2004, 2005, somewhere around there. No, it was, it was 03 or 04, yeah, because then we had Kamigawa still. Um, but yeah, it was it was one of those, when it came in and we saw equipment, many of us were quite confused. What is this? What do you mean? What are you doing? What are you talking about? And we thought equipment was going to break the game. We were all wrong. It was Affinity that broke the game. But we were rather concerned that equipment was overly powerful. So yeah. it was about 10 years after Magic was created yeah. that equipment came into play. About. Mm -hmm. I thought that it was there sooner, but apparently not. And then 
The other side of this coin is Reconfigure, and that debuted in the the new Neon Dynasty set. Um, so that one actually kind of reconfigure threw me for a loop because seeing an artifact creature as an equipment and yeah. a creature. That was, that was very strange. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, they're definitely doing new things and some of it's kind of confusing. Yeah. All right. So now that we've touched on the history a little bit, Joe, as always, take over with the rules. Our rules. First, we're going to talk about equip and then we'll talk about reconfigure. So I'll give you all the rules for equip and then all the rules for reconfigure. We're going to our wonderful favorite spot of the uh, the comprehensive rules, 702.6. And if that tells you how early <laughs> Equip is, <laughs> yes, when they redid the comprehensive rules, they you know, went in alphabetical order. It was 702.6. Anyway, uh, Equip is an activated ability of equipment cards. Notice it is an activated ability. It has been keyworded, but it is still an activated ability. Equip cost means pay the cost, colon, attach this permanent to target creature you control. Activate only as a sorcery. Now this is important, even though you see equip down on the bottom of all equipment cards, equip and then it'll tell you the mana cost or whatever the payment you have to make in order to actually equip that card to another creature, it doesn't tell you necessarily all the time, whether it's a reminder text or through the actual ability, that you can only activate this as a sorcery and it's an activated ability. All right, it is. It has simply been keyworded. That's all. 702.6b. For more information about equipment, see Rule 301 Artifacts. Just good information. Right? But we're not going to talk about that. 702.6c. Equip abilities may further restrict what creatures can be chosen as legal targets. Such restrictions usually appear in the form Equip Quality or Equip Quality Creature. These equip abilities may legally target only a creature that's controlled by the player activating the ability and that has the chosen quality. Additional restrictions for an equip ability don't restrict what the equipment may be attached to. One of the most common ones here for this is actually, I want to make sure I pull it up because I think I have this correct and I think I spelled that wrong. There we go. All right. Uh, Bloodthirsty Blade, all right? Now, this is an equipment, and it's actually pay one, attach Bloodthirsty Blade to target creature and opponent controls. Now, it doesn't actually have equip in its cost, all right? Or it doesn't say equip, but it is essentially an equip ability, but it does have that restriction. You have to target creature and opponent controls. 702.6D, if a permanent has multiple equip abilities, any of its equip abilities may be activated. Not much really more to say about that. That's pretty straightforward. Um, most notable for that one is Blackblade Reforged, where it has equip legendary and equip... Uh, I think it just has equip yeah. and the cost, and then you're right, equip legendary creature with a different cost. Yeah, right? and the equip legendary is cheaper. And again, there's another another uh, restriction where it is equip a certain quality of a creature, and then you can have... 702.151, Reconfigure. Reconfigure represents two activated abilities. Reconfigure cost means pay the cost, attach this permanent to another target creature you control, activate only as a sorcery. This may sound familiar. It is basically the equip ability, but this rule goes on. And cost, unattach this permanent. Activate only if this permanent is attached to a creature and only as a sorcery. Basically, this is how you're able to unattach equipment from a creature it's been attached to. Originally, equipment were not designed this way, and anything that still has equip is still not designed this way. It must have reconfigure in order to pull it, pull the equipment off of the creature. Now, there are there is at least one card that allows you to unequip it. Sunforger. You have to pay to unequip it, but you also get to search search for an instant. Well, and I think yes, you are correct. But the unequipping is part of the cost to actually go do the activated ability. Ah. But you are correct. You can get it off of a creature, but you can't pay the equip cost to unequip. It doesn't work that way. All right, last rule. 702.151b. Attaching an equipment will, with reconfigure to another creature causes the equipment to stop being a creature until it becomes unattached from that creature. Now, this is an important rule, and a lot of people think, well, yeah, duh, or what does it really matter? 
there is there is a rule in equipment which we didn't cover because it's not part of the activated ability you cannot attach a creature to a creature it doesn't work that way you can't have a creature piggybacking off of another creature and like wielding them as the hulk wielded loki and whipped him around as a weapon it doesn't work that way all right so when an equipment if it would become a creature for any reason it falls off of the creature it's attached to. So that being said, if you would end up, say, animating your uh, your, your Black Blade Reforged, it would... <laughs> Listeners, I've currently broken Chris again. I imagine with the image of Loki being swung around by the Hulk. But if you end up animating your Black Blade Reforged and turning it into an artifact creature and it's equipped to another creature, it falls off of the cre creature it's equipped to. That's why this last rule is so important. It gets rid of that creature status and enables the reconfigured equipment to stay attached to the creature you're targeting. Otherwise, again, if it would remain a creature, it would fall off of the creature it's attached to and reconfigure wouldn't work properly. So that was one of the most important ideas. Now, we're going to get into some of our featured cards. And this is a this is one, if you're an experienced player player or even if you're a brand new player you may know some of these some of these are the some of the most infamous cards in all of magic and have been banned in several formats so we're going to get started chris take it away i know you like this first card well i, I like this entire cycle of cards Ooh. um and so it's true so the cycle that i'm talking about is the sword of cycle uh, the one that we're going to be featuring is Sword of Feast and Famine. It is an artifact equipment for three generic, um, and it has equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has protection from black and green. It also has whenever equipped, a creature deals combat damage to a player. That player discards a card, and you untap all lands you control, and its equip cost is two. So with all of the Swords of, um, they always all of them give protection from two colors yes as um, well as plus two plus two yep so they get plus two plus two and protection from two colors a uh, sword of body and mind is protection from blue and green um hearth and home is red and white uh green and white green and white yes uh fire and ice is red blue yep uh there is uh we currently only have eight of the ten i think that's correct yeah. Um, as the, at the time of this recording, we only have eight of the 10. We do not include the, uh, the sword from the unset. Right. Uh, the sword of dungeons and dragons <laughs> as much as we want to, because that's, that card is absolutely beautiful. Yes. Um, so all of the swords of cycle, they are very powerful, exceedingly powerful. Um, I know right now I only have three at one time I had four, but I sold one of them to another player for an entire deck plus some change. There you go. Plus some money. And I, I mean, and I kind of that also kind of goes to demonstrate how highly sought after these swords are. Well, it was also a Kaladesh invention. Oh, oh yeah, that would yes. Yeah, it was a yeah. fire and ice. Yeah, that'll be that would be worth it. So the night and on top of you know the the sword of feast and famine famine being phenomenally good. The the really big part of it that makes it such a powerful card, well, powerful equipment. Is that second that's the the second half the second ability where as long as that creature connects with another player you get to untap all of the lands you control so that will just set you up for your second main phase to do something even bigger and splashier. Um, at one time I was actually running feast and famine in my Omnath deck because if I could get him in I could untap all my lands and then make him even bigger. Yeah, for, that'd be the mono green. Yeah, Omnath. Yeah. This next equipment was one of the original Mirrodin block uh, equipments. Actually, my brother, I think, still has the original, like, janky art. All right, the one that looks like so... So it doesn't look like it's part of magic at all. But anyway, uh, this is Skull Clamp. Skull Clamp is an artifact equipment, cost one generic. Equipped creature gets plus one, minus one. Whenever equipped creature dies, draw two cards and its equip cost is one. This card has actually been banned in Modern and Legacy because it proved way too powerful. It is not legal in Pioneer. You only see it in Vintage and Commander, but you do see it quite frequently 
in Commander. I don't know how much in Vintage, but you do see it frequently in Commander. It is still a highly sought after card, mostly that you, you throw it on a 1-1 one, one token, kill the token, draw cards. And that's the whole point. Um, but it is exceedingly powerful. It's been reprinted several times, and it is still you know, a $9, $10 card. You know, and if you can get the original, the original version, oh, how much does that go for? Hold on. The original version of Skull Clamp. Oh, it's from Darksteel. Darksteel, that's what it was. I mean, it's still uh, almost $11 right there. You know, it just, yeah, it really just depends. But it's it's an amazing card and one of the iconic equipments that really got this thing started. So, are you looking at the art now and wondering? Yeah, I know. Where's the head? Uh, you don't want to just... Oh, there's... The, oh, 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 oh. Now I see it. Yeah. Yeah, I like the new art better. Yeah, I, I do. I like the new art better. But the original art is, I mean, it is just so, it's such an iconic idea of what this, this card was supposed to be. All right, Chris, what's next? Oh, uh, it's hammer time. So the next card that we are going to talk about is Colossus Hammer. It's an artifact equipment, costs one generic, equipped creature gets plus 10, plus 10, and loses flying, and its equip cost is eight. So this one is just, it makes it really big, it puts it on the ground, and it just hits hard. Um, whenever you made the joke about Hulk and Loki, um, I was actually thinking about this card. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of want to get one altered. Nice. To where it's Stitch with the blue punch buggy. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. Uh, Colossus Hammer, we'll talk about a little bit more later. It is a featured equipment in one of the decks at the top of the meta right now for Modern. Um, so we'll talk about that in a little bit later. Next, we have one of, again, the most sought-after artifacts. This is Lightning Greaves. It is an artifact equipment, costs two generic, equipped creature, has haste, and can't be the target of spells or abilities, also known today as Shroud, and its equip cost is zero. And that being one of the reasons it is so highly sought after, not only does it give it haste and shroud, but you can equip this for a cost of zero. So you can actually move it from creature to creature to creature. Hey, there's that uh, word of the day that we, or word to live by we had talked about. Um, this is another one. It was one of the original early, uh, early, version or early uh, equipments that came out in the original Mirrodin set. Um, it is still a highly sought after card. And again, they have reprinted it so many times, but it is still going to run you eight, nine, ten bucks in order to get a copy of it. And there's just, there's nothing you can do about it. It is just so many people want multiple copies of this card. Um, still legal in all the formats in which it can be played, uh, but a great, great card. Absolutely. All right, Chris. Now, I know for a fact you have trounced me with this one before. All right, go ahead. All right, so this one is Embercleave. It's a legendary artifact equipment. It costs four generic, red, red. It has flash. This spell costs one less for each attacking creature you control. When Embercleave enters the battlefield, attach it to target creature you control. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, and has double strike and trample. And its equip cost is three. Now, I love playing red deck wins. I love playing mono red, like very fast, very aggro decks. Embercleave is absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. um, especially with how I play, I get a lot of low, low creatures onto the field and I just turn them sideways. And if one of them just happens to get through unblocked or anything, I can easily, even if I'm only swinging with four creatures... That makes it the mana cost red, red. Yeah. Which then means at instant speed before damage is dealt, I can just pay to flash this in, attach it to the unblocked creature, and then deal even more damage. Yeah. It, it was a potent card and was actually high on the recommendation list for being banned when standard. Now, again, to be fair, I never thought Embercleave was really the problem. There were other things that enabled Embercleave to be a problem because uh, it never did get banned, and now it's legal in so many other formats, and it's not an issue. You know, nobody plays Embercleave, really, because it's just not that powerful. It was in standard. 
but it was other things around it. But yeah, Embercleave, a great card, you know, still up there in terms of cost. It's not a cheap one to get a copy of it, but it's also not overly expensive. Yeah, I know you have several copies of Embercleave. I'm surprised you actually don't play it more. <laughs> oh, I have them. I have two. I have two red decks, mm -hmm. and two copies are in each. Nice. So yeah, nice. Just I, I just have to get around to playing them. We also want to point out that Ember Cleave, you'll notice it had red pips in the mana cost. Uh, originally, all the idea behind equipment it was that it would be uh, completely colorless. But as Wizards went on and more, more sets happened, they did start to expand into new ideas where they would add color, uh, colored pips to the artifacts. And of course, you'll see that not only with Embercleave, but with our next card, which is our first reconfigure card. This is Cloudsteel Kirin. It is an artifact creature, equipment Kirin. It costs two generic and a white. It has flying. An equipped creature has flying and you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. It is a 3-2 creature and it has reconfigure 5, meaning 5 generic mana. Uh, again, first, first reconfigure card. You'll notice that reconfigure costs are rather high and part of the reason for that is because you get a creature onto the field as well. Um, we'll, we'll see how reconfigure goes. Personally, I like it in Limited. I think it has a lot of potential, and I know Cloudsteel Kieran in particular, that's a nice card. Enables you to go ahead and just have that nice little win condition in, built in there. Um, not overly played, not overly reliable either, but has that nice little win in there that you can't lose the win. And it's not really a win condition, it's more of a non-lose condition. A safety net, yeah, yeah. kind of an idea, yeah. I mean, like we said earlier, it's a Platinum Angel on a equipment. Right. Well, a 3-2 flyer for three is nothing to sneeze at either. Not amazing, you know, but on curve, no, I mean, nothing terrible. You know, you could you, you could use that and deal some damage with it. And then if you're able to reconfigure it, that works really well, too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Cloud Stokiran, great example of a reconfigure card. And, of course, it only gains that second ability if it is actually equipped to a creature. So if it is simply on its own, it's just a 3-2 flyer for three. But if you reconfigure it onto another creature, that's when you get the flying bonus for the equipped creature, and you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. We have one more card we're going to talk about, and Chris is going to go ahead and take this one away. It's another reconfigure card. All right, so this one is Liz Lizard Blade. <laughs> Lizard Blades. It's an artifact creature equipment lizard for a generic and a red. Has double strike. Equipped creature has double strike. Reconfigure two, and it's a one one. So this one is just the reconfigure cost is somewhat fair. Yeah, I mean the equipped creature only gets double strike, so you know not bad. But it does it does some it does really good in certain decks. Yes, just because you can now get double strike in, and um and even though it's a one one, it has double strike itself, which means it's technically hitting for two. I mean, a 1-1 one, one double striker for two, that's not bad. Oh, no. It's not amazing, again, but it's not bad. I mean, it's it's reasonable. You know, you can do some damage with that. But again, it's that whole idea behind the reconfigure idea and, you know, the reconfigure cost being a little bit more than what you would honestly want to pay for that. If you paid two and then equip creature gets double strike, you'd really only want to pay, like, one to equip this to, a, to a, just give a double strike. So the reconfigure is a little more expensive. When it comes to the dominant colors, again, you're going to find that there are certain colors that have a lot more equipment and reconfigure cards than others. At this time, we're looking at 21 in white, 7 in blue, 15 in black, 17 in red, 8 in green, 8 multicolor, and I stopped counting at 150 colorless <laughs> equipment. Um, I'm sure there are far more than that, but I, I did, I stopped counting at 150. I figured that's plenty to give people the idea that most of these are colorless cards. And there are a few in each color that are from Commander-only products. So, yes, uh, again, we're looking at, when we, when we talk about the dominant colors, it's really things that are legal in formats where it's not just Commander, right? Not just, like, the eternal catch-all for everything. Uh, so you do get a couple that are built only for Commander and played in. 
But just goes to show you again, a lot of them are colorless and you're gonna see white, black, red being your dominant equipment colors. Chris, what kind of decks do we have that you really wanna put equipment? All right, so featured decks, uh, Boros Equipment uh, is the classic equipment centered deck. Uh, it's not currently in standard, it's not currently in the standard meta, but frequently it's always the go-to for equipment themed decks. Um, Boros is red and white, and um, historically, Boros has always been very good to art uh, to equipments. Yeah, I mean that's where Sunforger is. The entire point of several decks, or excuse me, several Boros limited decks is based around equipment. The Forgotten Realms, mm -hmm. Renor was an equipment an equipment creature, and he was the 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 un, the signpost uncommon. He was made for equipment, and that was the entire point behind Yeah, frequently. And aggro decks tend to like a few pieces of equipment if the equipment provides the proper ben benefits. Like we s saw in our featured cards, Embercleave, and one of the newer ones, Rabbit Battery. Rabbit Battery is awesome. I love this card. <laughs> when we did our little sealed, uh, sealed recording, um... I pulled a rabbit battery out of one of my packs, and that thing was just doing work. Uh, for those of you that are not aware, rabbit battery is an artifact creature, equipment rabbit. We don't get to hear that too frequently either. It costs one red to put into play. It's a 1-1 one, one creature. It has haste. Equip creature gets plus one, plus one, and has haste, and has a reconfigure cost of one red. And again, I mean, it's just, it's such an efficiently costed creature. A 1-1 one, one with haste for one is already great. I mean, that's on par with many other goblin decks or stuff like that. But to give equip creature plus one, plus one in haste for essentially two, one to put in and play, one to attach, that's, that's, that's pretty reasonable. I'll take that. Yeah. And the best part of all is, I don't think we really touched on this uh, whenever we were talking about the rules, but if you reconfigure, say you put rabbit battery, you reconfigure it onto a creature and that the equi equipped creature dies, rabbit battery then becomes a creature again. That's true. We did not talk about that. So um, I think we will when we actually start talking about how to play with the ability and mm -hmm. against the ability. But that's a great point to to, to make. You're right. Um, so the, 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 the equipped creature or the equipment, the reconfigured equipment, becomes a creature when it falls off of the creature it's attached to. It's not an equipment on just laying there on the battlefield. It becomes a usable creature. Uh, there have been... There were a few games where I actually had rabbit battery equipped onto a creature and I would just chump block with that creature and then mm -hmm. keep rabbit battery on the field as a creature again, as just so that I could have it there to either do something with it or to play another creature and then just reconfigure it again. Yeah. And absolutely. just repeat the cycle. I mean, rabbit battery is absolutely beautiful. I wish I had more copies of it because... <laughs> I want to put that into my uh, um, into one of my red decks. Yeah, it's it is it's just a great card. It's, it's one. I think it's time where we actually start talking about how to how to work these mechanics. Chris, do you want to talk about playing with equipment or against equipment? I'll do with. Okay. Because I have actually been playing a lot more decks with equipment. So, all right, have at it. All right. So first and foremost, when you are playing with equipment, choose the equipment wisely. You want to make sure that you have the right equipment in your deck that will support your deck. Um, the second thing is choose the creatures to which equipment will be attached wisely. Um, what that boils down to is make sure you are getting the most bang for your buck. Um, for instance, a combination of those two is in my red deck wins. In my red deck, I have Embercleave and the best creature that I can put it on is one that is unblocked. There you go. So I can put it on, I can equip it to a creature that is unblocked to deal even more damage. Um, the third thing you want to remember is balance the amount of equipment with the amount of creatures. You can have a whole bunch of equipment in your deck, but if you only have a handful of creatures, you're just sitting on a, a nice shiny weapons rack with nothing, no one to use them. Um, equipment is notoriously difficult to run consistently. Um, you want the question you have to ask is how will you ensure that you get the cards you need? Now, since uh, equipment is mostly run in Boros, you have access to um, 
looting and rummaging cards so that you can easily um, kind of filter through your deck, find what you want, and go from there. So you want to balance. You can use that to help balance out your deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then reconfigure will be a game changer. Uh, not sure how it's going to play out in the long run yet, but with it being both an artifact creature and also an equipment, you have more ways of searching it up. You can either search for it as yeah. an artifact or you can search for it as a creature. Well, or, I mean, it's also a creature that you can equip on the battlefield. Exactly. Now. So, yeah, in addition to being an equipment, you can attach to another creature you have on the battlefield. So, yeah, but who knows how that's going to play out in the long run. Oh. It hasn't been around enough. Um, you want to have removal in your... Uh, Removal in your deck, just in case. Um, so, if there is something that is threatening to your artifact, threatening to your artifacts or your equ- equipment, um, you want to be sure that you can remove that threat. Um, and equipment doesn't tap when the creature attacks, and re and reconfigure cards can be unattached, uh, unattached, untapped as blockers. Um, personally, what I like to do is if there's in some of the decks that I've played. I've had it to where I can, t- I have cards that let me tap other artifacts for some some form of payoff. Right. Um. Oh, my Galazeth. Uh. Yeah, my Galazeth Prismari deck where I can tar- tap artifacts right. to pay for spells. I actually ran that as a Voltron deck, and I was actually tapping the equipment because it doesn't tap. Exactly. So I was tapping all of my equipment that was on him to get payoffs, but it didn't affect his state. That's true. He was still buffed and. I was still able to cast some really big spells. That one, but that one needs to go back to the workbench and I need to rebuild it because that one was actually fun now that I think about it. (laughs) All right, so now that I have told you, you know, some of the key points of playing with equipment, Joe, what do you do if you're playing against an equipment deck? You got to remember that equipment decks are notoriously difficult to run consistently. There are very few out there and that's why you really don't see a lot of them in the meta there are very few that you can run consistently and have consistent wins. That being said, it's usually easy to break an equipment deck. If you remove one half of the game plan, the other half simply isn't strong enough to win. Get rid of the creatures, the equipment has nothing to attach to, and so now they're just sitting there with a bunch of weapons on the battlefield but nothing to actually wield them. Get rid of the equipment, and the creatures are typically too small or weak to do anything to overpower your bigger, stronger, larger creatures. So get rid of one half of the game plan. Don't necessarily focus on both but make sure you get rid of one half for sure. Jump on the removal early. Assuming you have some really good removal in your deck, you need to get started with that early. Letting the deck, letting an equipment deck get a foothold is what causes you problems. Once they're able to get started and they can get a a suited up creature out on the battlefield, that's when it becomes more of a problem. So really just jump on the removal early. Uh, A deck doesn't have really to be Let me rephrase that. Sorry. A deck doesn't have to be equipment focused to be potent. As we saw from the standard meta when Throne of Eldraine was in play and what we've continued to experience with Chris and his red decks, one piece of equipment can change the game. Ember Cleave could hit the field and all of a sudden you thought you were safe, you thought you were fine, and then it's the game has completely changed no longer in your favor. So you you got to keep that in mind too. Be on the lookout for unexpected equipment. Even now, the only deck that's really in the standard the standard meta that's currently running any equipment is a Boros deck, but the only equipment that it's running is Rabbit Battery. But Rabbit Battery can make a big difference. Plus 1 plus 1 in haste is huge and can in the right right situation right time of the game can swing the game in your opponent's favor so just make sure you're paying attention you're always on the lookout it can really change the way the game reconfigured creatures can be unattached and again as we said before when you tap an equipped creature the equipment does not tap this is a key point for reconfigured creatures once they attack it's not the most efficient way to spend your mana but if necessary you can unattach the reconfigured creature, and now there's an unexpected blocker on the battlefield. Now, you're still going to see it because it has to happen at sorcery speed, so it's not like they're going to do it on your turn. All right, But you have, to be, you have to keep that in mind, that these unexpected blockers can show up 
and can cause more problems for you without, and then they can still gain the benefits of that equipment that they're using on their turn. It's just a rather intensive mana sink. You probably won't see that too frequently, but it can happen. In addition, remember that if you kill a reconfigure equipped creature, then the reconfigured creature will come back to the battlefield as a creature untapped. Right? So yes, you got rid of one creature, but you have now put another one on. Just a lot of things to keep in mind when playing against equipment. But again, we really do want to point out equipment decks are notoriously difficult in any format. And so you probably won't see a lot of them. But when you do, keep those things in mind. Uh, right now, we, we sort of talked about it earlier. Uh, there's a deck in the modern format called Hammer Time that is taking advantage of Colossus Hammer, being able to hold out the game until Colossus Hammer hits the field and then ramming through an, an unblocked massive creature. Um, there are a lot of equipment-based decks in Commander. Uh, I had one for a little while. Uh, I actually had a couple for a little while, just depending on what I was doing. Um, and of course, as we said, various equipment pop up in random decks. You always be on the lookout. You never know what's going to be there, what's going to happen. But... Chris, to the best of my knowledge, you will not see um, an equipment deck legacy. Certainly not in vintage. They're just too slow when you I really think, look at them that way. I think the only equipment that you will kind of see in, like, legacy or vintage is Lightning Greaves. Yeah. To get, but that's just to get because... Haste, it, haste and Shroud. Yeah. Yeah, But I, I think agree. that, like... I mean, Skull Clamp, I would say, but that well, got, got banned. That got banned. If that <laughs> yeah. tells you how powerful that one piece of right. equipment is, Lightning Greaves is just good, just because it a two drop and you can immediately attach it onto, equip it onto your creature. Right for zero. For zero. So Lightning Greaves, I think, is the only one that you'll see in like the later formats. One of my favorite, though, has to do with my walls deck, Warmonger's Chariot. Okay, because I don't know what this one is, so we're going to go ahead and look this up. Warmonger's Chariot. Chris, tell our readers, or our listeners, excuse me, what this is. All right, so Warmonger's Chariot is an artifact equipment for two generic. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two. As long as equipped creature has defender, it can attack as though it didn't have defender, and its equip cost is three. That's just me. <laughs> so not only do I make my wall bigger, yeah. A little bit, but I give it a little bit of teeth to go with its big butt. Actually, but that's when you think about it, because you're using Arcades typically, mm -hmm. so you're assigning damage based off of toughness. Plus two to a toughness, I mean, that's that's a big swing. Mm -hmm. yeah, it really is. I mean, you, you think a wall of denial up there, it's a zero eight, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you're hitting somebody for ten. Well, wall of denial has shroud, so I can't equip it. Oh, that is true. Oh, hey, that's something we didn't bring up. Uh, yep. That is a good point. Well, see... All of a sudden, this late in the episode, that's an important point to bring up. Um, if a creature has Shroud, Equip is a targeted ability. So if a, if a creature has Shroud, you cannot target with Equip. And going back to the yeah. uh, Bloodthirsty Rapier, uh, was it Bloodthirsty Rapier? I want to say yes, yes, that's it. Uh, uh, bloodthirsty Blade. All right, with, yeah. And with Bloodthirsty Blade, if your opponent's creature has Hexproof, or Shroud. Or Shroud. You <laughs> cannot target it with Bloodthirsty Blade. That is true. Yeah. So, I, so that, that's a good point to make. I'm glad we didn't intend to do that at all, but that's a good good yeah. way to get there. An important point this late in the episode to but make sure it, people know. All right. So, Riptide Turtle is a 0-5. Yeah. And so, that would make him a 2-7. That's a lot of damage coming at you for so, not a lot of, you know, put, not a lot of uh, mana sink. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's pretty good. Will we see that in your Modern Walls deck on Friday? It's a, So, Warmonger's Chariot is in the maybe board right now. The maybe board, okay. Because right now I have, like, um, I have Hwatli in there, the white-green one. Oh, yes. Which mm -hmm. does the whole, you know, creatures assign uh, damage equal to their toughness rather yes. than power. Mm -hmm. I just can't attack with them. Right. But that's why I have High Alert in there that does that's the true. same thing as Arcades. Yeah. Um, so, so I have redundancy in there. Yeah. Uh, Warmonger's Chariot is kind of on the maybe board because I'm running four high alerts. True. Four Arcades. Yeah. And two Huatleys. Okay. So I have a lot of weight. So that's 10 of the 60 cards. Yeah. That are just dealing with letting my creatures with Defender attack. That's true. But I do have some really heavy hitting ones like Wall of Denial. Right. Um, I have, uh... 
Stalwart Shield Bearers, which give all of my other defenders plus two, plus uh, plus O, plus two. Mm-hmm. Um, I have Tetsuko in there, right? Which let which will make my walls unblockable. Yeah. So I can two or less. Yep. So yeah. I have ways of making this deck work, and it when it goes off, it goes off, and it's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> plus, defenders are low costing, so with Arcades, as yeah. soon as a defender enters the battlefield, I get to draw a card. If I have the mana for it, I can play another defender, Ransom Repeat. Boom. There you go. And it's not just creatures that I can play. I have Teo in there, which mm-hmm. he creates wall tokens, and so that's a creature with defender entering the battlefield. So yeah. I get to draw another card. So this one is like one of my most fleshed out decks, and I absolutely love it. And the fact that it's all defenders, mm-hmm. I can move it into whatever minus standard. Yeah. I can move it from Pioneer to Vintage just by changing the creatures and just mod, just pretty much plug and play with everything that I want. Yeah. At one time, I was actually considering putting Doorkeepers in there, which mills my opponents equal to the number of defenders I have. That would also be rather mean. So I but can a good good strategy. So I can like mix and match whatever I want. Just yeah. and so Warmonger's Chariot is kind of in my maybe board. I might throw like two copies into the sideboard. Mm-hmm. Just because it'll be funny. Um, but that's one of the jankiest decks I have, but it just works so beautifully. And it's <laughs> like, it's one of my babies. Like, I have a commander deck built around Arcades. I yes. love it so much. Yes. And surprisingly, that's actually one of my more powerful decks. Very much so. Which is absolutely yeah. hilarious because none of my creatures have very high power. No, but it trounces people. We, we tell you, if you're going to play that deck, if you're playing that kind of game, okay, but we're pulling out powerful decks too. And then people realize why you need to pull out a powerful deck against Arcades, because yeah, it does that much. Yeah. Well, just the card draw is insane. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that alone is insane. All right, I think we have thoroughly covered equipment and reconfigure. Is there anything else you can think of? Nope. All right. We are, we're going to go ahead and forego any extended reading or scuttlebutt today. Um, there just really hasn't been that much that's gone on in the world of magic right now. And the things that have happened are kind of recent, and we're not exactly prepared to overly discuss them. So we'll get that out at another time. Uh, for those of you who are hearing this in the near future, uh, New Capenna will be releasing soon. Pre-releases on April 22nd. Highly encourage you, if you're new to Magic, this is a great time to get started. Head out to your local game store, stop in for the pre-release event. I know Chris and I will both be there for at least one of the events, if not both. It looks like an awesome set, Uh, so make sure you take some time to go do that. And otherwise, Chris, tell them how they can get in touch with us. All right, so you can email us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at mtg under the hood um just a real quick note uh i do want to apologize profusely life has gotten in the way and i haven't been able to devote much time to discord so please bear with me i will let you know as soon as that goes live um bear with me march was hey it was rough for both of us i mean obviously we haven't put out an episode for more than a month thank you again for listening to this episode of magic the gathering under the hood i'm chris and i'm joe we look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode stay tuned